0: It's time for a radical environmentalist to tell us how humanity is ruining the planet. It's funny that uh, today we're concerned about global warming. Back in the 1970s, everyone was worried about the impending ice age. And so uh, you wonder, what's behind environmental concern? Is it scientific fact or is it political panic? I think uh, the tone of my voice is kind of saying it's a little bit more political than it is scientific, that's for sure. Well, what are the underlying beliefs of uh, radical environmentalists? We need to understand some of the underlying beliefs of radical environmentalists. And then we should also ask, how is it that a Christian should view the environment? Another part of anthropology, and we've been studying the, the study of man, another part of anthropology is the studying and recognition of the stewardship that God has given to us over the earth. There's a recognition that there is a proper concern that Christians ought to have for the environment. There's a sense in which we ought to be the environmentalists, in the, as long as it's in a biblical view. Most of radical environmentalism, though, has absolutely no regard for Christianity and Christian values. Environmentalists, generally, when it comes to, especially, anthropology, and we've talked about how the study of man that you would find in universities and in the world is a whole lot different than anthropology as we study man in light of the Scriptures. And in studying anthropology in light of the Scriptures, we're going to come to a view of Christian stewardship, a view of Christian stewardship that is on the foundation of theism. We believe that there's a God. Because of our theism, we believe in creationism. We believe that God is the creator and that he is the sustainer of this earth and the universe. There's going to be a supernaturalism that recognizes that we're far more than just natural processes. That Christian stewardship view is going to be in contrast to radical environmentalism. And radical environmentalism is really based upon many, many ideas, but one of them would be humanism, a view that... Uh, man is the ultimate definer of right from wrong. It's going to be based on either atheism or pantheism. And you know something? Either atheism or pantheism get to the same idea. Atheists say that there is no God. Pantheists say that everything is God. And if everything is God, then there really is no God who is the uh, controller and definer of us. And so, whether you're an atheist, an evolutionist, or whether you'd be a pantheist in a New Age uh, person who is into environmentalism either way you're still going to have a wrong view, you're going to come to wrong conclusions because you're starting on a wrong foundation wrong beliefs in the first place not only will they be atheists or pantheists but they're going to be naturalists and they're going to assume that everything has a natural explanation and because of that then they're going to be evolutionists there's a major difference between their anthropology and our anthropology, there's a major difference between their environmentalism and our environmentalism Where does our environmentalism come from? It comes from understanding that God has given to us a stewardship that we need to take very seriously. And that stewardship is defined for us in Genesis 1, beginning with verse 26. Later we read in chapter 2 and verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Two major passages of Scripture in the the Old Testament and really throughout the Bible that give us our understanding of stewardship, of environmental concern and care, uh, the sense of responsibility that we as Christians uh, view that all of mankind have, the two main passages, first is Genesis one 26 through 26-28. We're going to get some ideas here. Then we're also going to go to Psalm 8, which we've spent some time meditating on already. And Psalm 8 is going to teach us more about this stewardship that God has given to us. It's the stewardship of humanity. In our study of man, we've recognized that you cannot have a proper anthropology until you have a proper theology. You can't have a right view of who we are as human beings until we have a right view of who God is. And because we spend so much time in studying and knowing God, recognizing that He is great, that He is powerful, that He is the Creator, infinite and unlimited in all that He's done, that gives us a proper low view of man, where we recognize that man needs God. Man needs a Creator. We've talked about this before. It's amazing how that Christianity, biblical Christianity, starts with a low view of man, meaning that there's a great Creator, and we are so small compared to Him. And yet... Biblical Christianity, even though it has a low view of man starting off, it comes to a dignity uh, in regards to man because we recognize that man is different than all of the other creation. We've been created in the image of God. So we start off by talking about the origin of human life. And we've talked about the sanctity of human life. Human life is valuable, it's dignified, it's sanctified, it's set apart from all of the other life on this earth because we've been created in the image of God and we've talked about what that means. We've talked about the complexity of human life. When we recognize that we're far more than just body, material beings, we are also immaterial in that we have soul, heart, mind. So we are, we are natural, physical, but we are far more than physical. We also have uh, the immaterial, and we've talked about that. Now we're going to continue on in the study of mankind, discovering... The stewardship of humanity. Later on we're going to discover the difference in humanity, the male and female, and how God has created us in that way. We're going to discover the needs of humanity. We're going to find out that the needs, the greatest needs of humanity are not just, uh, certainly not just economic. The greatest needs of humanity are certainly not just educational or, uh, or reformed. Re- reform isn't what we need. What we need is we need a Savior, and we're going to come to understand why man needs that according to the Scriptures. But before we go on to study more about man and mankind, first we need to recognize that God has given to us a stewardship. The word stewardship is defined in a, uh, in a series of classes that I taught. It's from the Understanding the Times curriculum that, uh, that comes out of Summit Ministries. And we've taught this to our teenagers. We've taught it in school to homeschoolers and different things in the past. And there's a comment, there comes a recognition of our stewardship with the environment. And the word stewardship can really be defined as this. Our responsibility as God's stewards to protect and even to improve the environment for His glory and for our benefit. There's a recognition that God has given to us responsibility. Stewardship implies private, private property it is very interesting how that radical environmentalism almost always goes hand in hand with socialism and and I started to do this but I want to I, I didn't finish my thought biblical christianity starts with a low view of man and then gives it dignity and sanctity of human life humanism starts with a high view of man thinking that there is nothing other than us but you know what happens Ultimately, though it starts with a high view of man, it comes to a place where he says that we're nothing more than any of the other animals. And they come to a conclusion that eventually they're going to come to the conclusion that we are the earth's greatest problem. We are the ones who are bringing pollution and destruction and really the earth would be a whole lot better off without us, without humanity. And so they start with a high view of man, rejecting God. Ultimately, it comes to a degradation, a depraved view of mankind that is just not right. Well, On the opposite side of that, you would come to environmentalism, and environmentalism, radical environmentalism, is partnering with, holding hands with socialism. Socialism is the idea that there shouldn't be any private property, that everything should be owned by the state or by the collective whole, right? What we've discovered, though, is that socialism is the greatest detriment to the environment. Where there is no stewardship, where there is no responsibility for private property, people have no—they have no motivation to take care of things. They destroy everything. Not to be critical and harsh, but it wasn't—it wasn't Westerners, it wasn't capitalists who uh, who allowed Chernobyl to happen. I mean, Chernobyl and other kind of nuclear environmental catastrophes go hand in hand with socialism because socialism has no private property. It has no stewardship of property and therefore it becomes very destructive toward the environment. I'm going to go again right back to India or other parts of the world that you travel and you say, Wow, everyone wants to criticize the United States for being capitalist and for raping the environment. You know something? Thank goodness that we have the air we breathe in the United States compared to air in all the other socialist world. you know. Thank goodness that we have the water we drink compared to the water they drink everywhere else. I praise God for that. Someone asked me, they said, hey, are you going to become a full-time missionary in India? Not without water. (laughs) I'll go over there as often as I can, but man, oh man, I'm grateful for the tap water that I have. Hey, how about this? They they accuse us in the Western world of raping the environment. Who is it that actually treats sewage and keeps keeps ourselves healthy because of the waste that we have? Hey, private property, which means stewardship of private property or stewardship and taking care of your things, that goes hand in hand with biblical environmentalism when we recognize that God has entrusted to us and we are to take care of what he has given to us. Is He given different degrees? Of course. You go to the the parable of the stewards and you recognize even through that that there is a privatization. That privatization of property or responsibility means that, look, you have been given ownership or responsibility of this and you will give an answer for how you handle it. Whether it's little or whether it's much you are going to be responsible for what God has given to you, what God is entrusting to you. That would be the stewardship of our families, it's the stewardship of the animals that God has entrusted us to care for, or the house that we have, or the building that we have. Some children, as we talk, and children were here, my kids especially listen to this, sometimes you'll hear adults that'll say, hey, don't stand or jump on the pews or don't be disrespectful. That's not just because this is such a holy place that you have to you can't be a kid no you can be a kid but understand that as a kid we are to be good stewards of what God has given to us we need to take care of this place not to be harsh not to be getting off on any kind of tangents and angles but when we walk out of this place and there's trash all over when we walk out of here and people are writing on hymns or on Bibles or whatever it might be that's not good stewardship anyway That was just a little extra plug. We need to take good care of what God has given to us even within a church property. We need to be good stewards. Here in this passage, we are told that we have a stewardship over animals. Verse 26, he says, we are to have dominion over. Dominion over means that we are to rule, reign. We are to supervise. It implies that we are to own, train, control, and even use animals. Not only for our good, but especially for the glory of God. By the way, did you know that the animal kingdom functions best under man's supervision, under under man's rule? There are times when, uh, well, here again, you want to protect a certain species, and this isn't always the case. There are times when people do things that are just inexcusable, such as killing all the buffalo in the West. I mean, that is just inexcusable. But generally, when man is overseeing and supervising... Uh, things function best. They say, "Well, give me an example of it." I used the example several weeks ago when I talked about uh, eagles, how that bald eagles are in danger. And I said, "Look, if you really wanted to protect bald eagles, we should start eating them, because you have chickens, and we have no problem with chickens being endangered. <laughs> under man's supervision, chickens have done really well, and under man's supervision, frankly, bald eagles would do a whole lot better. Spotted owl also." <laughs> Have you ever tasted Spotted Owl? (laughs) Tastes like chicken. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Never tasted it. (laughs) But under man's responsibility and care and and upbringing, things would uh, function a little bit better. Anyway, God has given us the stewardship over animals to, to control, to use, to guide them for several things. First of all, radical environmentalists True pantheists wouldn't eat animals for food. I found that all through India. And the same Hindu ideas, pantheist ideas, where they would say all these animals are just, they're part of the great God, we're all part of God, and uh, so they're not going to eat anything, and they certainly wouldn't even step on, you know, a bug or whatever it might be, their ideas are totally different than the responsibility we would have. And there are a lot. And I'm not saying... Uh, I have no pro- problem with those who are vegetarians, who are for diet purposes and are committed to that. That's wonderful. But if there's someone who's saying that we should be vegetarians because, uh, because we should care more for animal life, God gave us animals for food. I mean, that's part of what He had given to us in Genesis 9, verses 1 through 3, where we read this. And this was a command given to Noah. It says... So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and on all, uh, all that move on the earth and on the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be for food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs... And then he gives the command, but you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And so he does give some instruction regarding it, but we have a stewardship over animals to use them for food. Or, not only use them for food, but also for clothing. I mean, we have radical environmentalists who would say, oh man, there's no one who should wear any kind of leather or animal products. Well, you know who started clothing mankind with leather, with fur? It was God. In Genesis 3, verse 21, when man had covered himself with fig, God came along and He said, look, sin has its consequences. And part of the consequence means that sin leads to death and the covering over you will will be these furs. Go ahead. Go ahead and use those animals, furs, leather, whatever it might be for clothing. That's part of what God has entrusted to us, provided for us, that we can have a stewardship over animals and use them even for clothing or for work. Now, does this mean that we should be abusive and harsh? No. We're told not to muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. In other words, yes, use these beasts of burden, and yet make sure that you care for them and feed them. In Proverbs, I didn't find this exactly, but the idea is that the man who regards the life of his beast is a a good man. There ought to be a regard for the life of our animals. We ought to treat them with respect and kindness. Why? Because they are your brothers and sisters? No. Why? Because you might come back like them? No, you treat them with respect because God, your Creator, has entrusted you to care for them. That's something that I think probably our family could do a better job of. Your dad could do a better job of teaching you to be good stewards over the animals that we have, taking care of them, not just because it's nice and pleasant, but because we've been given the care for these animals and we ought to take good care of them. Anyway... Stewardship over the animals. Not only do we have stewardship over the animals, but then we have uh, the blessing of population. Chapter 1, verse 28 of Genesis says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Fill the earth. We discover here that it's a blessing to have a population. Right now, through radical environmentalism, through uh, socialism, we have a teaching that says, "Oh, we have this terrible overpopulation all over the earth." The reality is, uh, under two percent of the Earth's landmass is presently occupied by human settlements, and I'm again referring back to uh, to a lecture. It's called radical environmentalism. Popular environmental myths It's by Mr. Calvin E. Calvin Beisner. It's from Southern Ministries, and he gave this information. It's a little bit old, but it's still not going to be. It's not going to change that much. Two percent of the Earth's landmass is presently occupied by human settlements. That's not overpopulation. If you were to take the whole world, all of the population of the world, and if they lived in the state of Texas. The population density would be half that of Manhattan, New York City. So you say, well, Jeff, should we all live that way? I'm not saying that we should all live that way. I'm just telling you that we, as Christians, must not swallow the world's idea that we need to stop populating. God says population is a blessing. For some reason, we're adopting this idea. And you know why? Because it's convenient. It's selfish. It's selfish. If I would just adopt the idea that says, Okay, we should all be responsible and only have two children. Well, that's awfully convenient when I start thinking that two children, Man, is a whole lot, whole lot more affordable. Let's get, let's get honest. The whole thing that we're concerned about is not so much overpopulation. We're concerned about our time, our careers, the way that we spend our money. It's not like my family is huge. We only have five children. I I mean, that's small compared to so many, right? Five children are a great blessing. It's not a huge family. I still have to fight for the milk, you know? I mean, I could get all selfish and stuff about it until I recognize that children are a heritage, a blessing from God. Amen? I mean, if children and population is a blessing from God, then... uh, this whole population thing, we, need, we don't need to be swallowing what the world is saying. Reality is, it's pretty good for a lot of them not to have very many children. Because they have the children, bring them up in a materialistic, self-centered, godless environment. Birth control is a good idea for those people. <laughs> for those of us who are going to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord... Children are a blessing from God. Let's thank God for this blessing. Let's not uh, fall in for the ideas of the world and all of their different propaganda. If they don't want their children in China, then we should adopt them and care for them and love them and bring them up. And you know something? There are plenty of opportunities for adoption of children from China. I mean, I can't even count how many people I know that are going through the process of adopting children from China. That turns out to be a blessing for us, doesn't it? Because here we're able to raise up these precious children created in the image of God. Otherwise, they would probably grow up in an environment where it's atheistic and they're not going to hear the gospel. And here we have an opportunity to teach them in the ways of the Lord. What a blessing that is for us. So, let's take advantage of it. Let's give ourselves to it. Not only adopting children from China, but adopting children from uh, uh, El Salvador. Whatever else it might be. I mean, there are great... If we would start considering the blessings of population because of what God tells us, I think that we'd start viewing things a a whole lot different. Now you say, alright, what is the curse of population? All of these commands that are given to us are before sin entered into the world. And so there's the stewardship of animals. You know something? The stewardship of animals was a whole lot easier before sin entered into the world. Furthermore, the blessing of population was a whole lot easier before sin entered into the world. And it loses its blessing when we have a population of people who are rebelling against God. But according to Psalm 78, God would have us to be fruitful and multiply so that we can teach to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. Oh, what a blessing it is to have children and to be fruitful and to multiply as we teach them in the ways of the Lord so that they know Him, love Him and serve Him. Not only is population a blessing according to this... Uh, passage, but we also discover the, the stewardship over animals, the blessing of population, and then we discover the stewardship of the planet in and, and verse 28 also where it says, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. Whether it be the sea, the air, the land, we are to tend it. We are to work hard in caring for it. But to make sure that, popul- uh, that, that we don't use it for our own selfish devices. We should care for it, protect it, to pass it on to another generation, and more than anything, to glorify God in all of it. Colossians 3, and by the way, what I'm describing, as far as the stewardship over our planet, the stewardship over animals, the stewardship over our families, as I'm describing this, this gives dignity and purpose to everything that we do. It gives dignity and purpose to everything that anyone does. We have people within our congregation that are employed by the sanitation department. There was a time when people used to tell jokes about, uh, about growing up to become a trash man. You know, people hear that. Guess what? Being a trash man is a very important thing in God's economy and in God's design. And that's why God would tell us in Colossians 3, Do not do that kind of work trying to please your master or your boss. He says, instead, do that kind of work with all of your heart, pleasing the Lord and not men. Those people that are working in a trash environment, they're taking good care of the environment, they're they're helping to manage and be stewards over this area, and they're serving God, and there's an incredible dignity to what they're doing. It's the same thing. You could go on and on as far as farming or caring for animals or whatever it might be. We are serving God. And if we recognize that God has called us to be stewards, to take care of the air, to take care of the environment around us, take care of the earth and the sea and the water, if we would recognize that, then I think, I think that we'd be much more motivated to take care of things than if we would just start coming and saying, well, we've got to collect cans Uh, Otherwise, the ozone is going to have a hole in it or whatever it might be. Look, the most motivated environmentalists who are taking good care of the things around them should be Christians. Amen? Kids, we need to take care of our stuff. Why? Because God has created this earth. He's placed us as those that are responsible stewards over it. And we need to take good care of it. God has given it to us. That's a whole lot different than the radical environmentalism ideas that are being shoved down the throats of our kids in their schools. Environmentalism is important, but is an environmentalism under God's order, God's structure in a created universe, not through all of their hocus-pocus kind of ideas. The other thing that I was going to talk about is that even tending the earth that God had given is more difficult to understand. Genesis 3.17 says now it's going to be through the sweat of your brow and there's going to be thorns and there's going to be difficulty and challenges. But let me just share this. There is coming a day in which Jesus Christ will come and reconcile all things to Himself. That general reconciliation will be when He removes all of, those, all of those consequences of sin under which creation right now is groaning and in travail, waiting to be delivered. What kind of things am I describing? I'm describing the thorns and the, uh, and the weeds that, are, that infest our, uh, our ground. If mankind does not work hard, thorns and weeds take over the planet, right? This is hard work. There's coming a day in which Jesus comes and there will no, be no more thorns and briars. Instead, there's going to be plants and oak that are growing up before Him. Isaiah describes it. Furthermore, not only will there be a reconciliation of the animal or of the, uh, of the plant life and of the earth itself, but there will be the reconciliation of animals. Right now, under sin, animals are violent. They kill each other. They eat each other. It's all as a result of death that entered in through sin. Hey, it's harder to manage and care for to be good stewards over the animal kingdom now than it will be in the coming day when Jesus again restores reconciliation and order and peace to this earth. Soon in that day, the lion and the lamb will lay together. And I know that those aren't the exact ones that are expressed in, in, uh, in Isaiah. He actually says the wolf and the lamb, I think, right? But still, there's going to be peace. And all of the animals will be eating grass, it describes. You say, Jeff, that's crazy. You're out of your mind. Why is that crazy? Why would we be out of our mind when the Creator of all these things says that this is how it's going to be? You say, well, why did He give them sharp teeth? Give him sharp teeth so he can eat grass. I mean, you know, they can still eat grass even if they have sharp teeth. There's one monkey. People look at this particular monkey and he's got these really sharp teeth. And they, they thought, well, man, see, that must be a carnivore. Evolution allowed this monkey to develop sharp teeth so he could eat other animals. And then they started observing the monkey. And guess what? He had sharp teeth so he could take bananas and peel them on his teeth. And then he could eat the banana means that God created him with that for a specific purpose so he could dwell in, in the environment in which God created him. God eat whatever the animal is. He didn't intend them originally to be carnivores. He intended them to, originally in the paradise to be able to eat the vegetation that God had provided. And under sin there's violence, there's death, there's killing of each other, eating of each other. In the kingdom there's going to be a restoration uh, to the peace that God had intended. And then Also, well, I mean, all these things, what we have a privilege of doing right now is representing God and bringing stewardship, bringing peace where we can, ordering and maintaining this earth, groaning and looking forward to the day in which Jesus comes and he makes all things right and new and fresh again. Man, what a great day that will be. Our jobs will be a whole lot easier as we serve him in that kind of kingdom as far as what we'll be doing. Anyway, that's... Genesis 1. Turn with me quickly also to Genesis 8, or Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, we're going to discover a high view of man. A high view of man, according to Psalm 8, gives some dignity where he says, you have made him a little lower than the angels. And so, yes, he's over creation. He's still, as a mankind, we're still lower than the angels in that we don't have all the power and the authority that angels have. But here's what he says in verse 5. God has crowned us with glory and honor. He has made us to be the kings over this earth, to subdue it, to control it. He's given us this glory and honor. And He's given us dominion over the works of, our, of your hands. you put all things under His feet. Sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the sea. All of this gives a high value to man's life. It's a high view of man. But a high view of man comes out of a higher view of God. See, this is awesome. There's a high view of man that is here, but there's a higher view of God. And the higher view of God starts by saying, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth, who have set Your glory above the heavens. This psalm starts with it, and it ends with it in praise and adoration of God, and recognizing that God, You... The Lord, Jehovah, are our Adonai, our King, our Master, and everything we do is in stewardship to you. We want to serve you, so Lord, make me to be a good servant. Let me serve you, God. You've given me stewardship over Trelli and over, uh, you know, what's that cat's name that we own? Smokey. That's it, Smokey. (laughs) Trelli is our dog, Smokey is our cat. God has given to us, kids, stewardship over that. And God is our king and we serve our king by being the kings and the rulers and the leaders over the animals that God has entrusted to us. And I'm telling you, this is important. I want you guys to learn how to take care of these pets, not just because I don't want them trashing my house. I want you to learn to take care of pets because this is serving God and it's part of the stewardship that God has given to us as a family. Even the pets. You say, Jeff, come on, don't get ridiculous. I'm not getting ridiculous. I'm just telling us, in the smallest little detail, this is the stewardship that God has given to us. And we are learning to serve our great king by being good managers over what God has entrusted to us. Our house, our furniture, our church, our lawn... You see, everything that we have now, we're starting to recognize that look, it's not just about having a good lawn. Yeah, it's a good testimony. Far more than that, I can serve my king by taking good care of what he has given to me, the things around me. Isn't that awesome? There's a dignified view of man that's in this passage, but there's a higher view of God. And the higher view of God recognizes that the Lord, Jehovah, is my Adonai. He is my king, and he is majestic, he is excellent. And His glory is above all the heavens. And frankly, everything that I do in stewardship over this earth is for the glory of God. It's to a- accurately represent Him. You say, well, Jeff, give me an idea of that. Here's the idea. Our God, the Creator over this earth, is He good and is He benevolent? Does He provide well for His creation? Oh, simply. I mean, He reigns on the evil and the good? He causes the, the sun to shine on the evil and the good? Here we live in a sin-cursed world, and yet even in a sin-cursed world, we enjoy the beauties of His creation, whether it be the sunrise or the sunset, beautiful snow that falls and provides moisture for the earth. God provides for the animals so they have things to eat. God provides for us. You know something? A good Creator takes good care over His earth. We have the privilege of representing Him in the way that we care for the things that He's entrusted to us. Man kind of gives a whole new light on things, doesn't it? He say, Jeff, you sound like a radical environmentalist. No, I'm just a Christian environmentalist. A Christian environmentalist who understands that God has entrusted us with some responsibility and we need to serve Him by living up to what He has given to us. Psalm 8 is a passage that as I just meditated on, there are so many things that I haven't even said or talked about. But as I read that, I just couldn't help but praise the Lord. I mean, no wonder... No wonder David the psalmist starts off with with this expression. By the way, did David understand this whole stewardship over animals? You tell me. When he was looking at these stars, what was he probably doing as a young man? Tending sheep. Caring for sheep, right? Protecting them from savage wolves. Leading them so they would have a good place to eat. He was doing what God had given to him and he's out there. And as he is out there, learning stewardship, learning to be a king by being a shepherd and caring for sheep. That's, where, that's God's school of leadership. Have you ever thought of that? God's school of leadership is not how to win friends and influence people. God's school of leadership is taking care of sheep out in the field. Is that awesome? You learn how to shepherd my people by shepherding and taking care of sheep. That was awesome. But anyway, he's learning how to follow God and be a good steward. And as he is out there, he's discovering all of God's creation. And he can't help but sing, Lord, oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you might silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Tonight, I want us to respond to this message by worshiping with these same words. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent your name is. When I think of about the heavens, the moon, and all the stars, wonder what you ever saw in me. But, you took me, you loved me, you've given me a crown. You've given me the glory of being a, a, a ruler and having dominion over your creation here on this earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent your name. And then... The prayer is, Lord, make me to be a servant. Make me to be a servant that is serving and being a steward for you every moment of every day and all that I do. You know, this message that we've talked about tonight gives dignity and meaning and value to everything you do. Chores. Shouldn't be a drudgery, kids. Chores are a way where you can learn to serve God by being good stewards of what God is entrusting to you right there. Is that awesome? That's awesome. It's not just punishment to do the dishes. It's serving God by even learning to care for the dishes, or care for the pets, or and then you get on to us as adults, and all those things that we count drudgery, that's what God has given to us, and there's a dignity and value, serving God in all these little things that God has called us to. Would you stand with me please as we close and worship singing, Lord, how excellent your name is.